This podcast was recorded a few hours before the terrible explosion in Beirut. The scale of the humanitarian crisis is staggering. The explosion has laid bare the scale of the dysfunction of the Lebanese state. At best, this series of events can be described as a criminal level of negligence. But there are many other, far less charitable ways to describe events. Lebanon today may look like a failed state, but like most Lebanese citizens, whether in the country or or living abroad, we need to focus on practical solutions to help the country recover. There's no shortage of ideas to revive the economy, but I often pause at many of the very well thought out, very well intentioned proposals. The problem is that I see they're trying to solve every problem at the same time. That's more ambitious than I believe is realistic. It's quixotic. Lebanon needs to start with a single positive shock that will catalyze the reforms that need to be addressed. Now, there's a long list of problems that need to be solved urgently, but foremost among them is the accelerating inflation and corruption. This is precisely why I support the establishment of a currency board in Lebanon. It stabilizes the currency, but much more importantly, it puts politicians in a fiscal straitjacket. The government will no longer be able to borrow from a central bank. The fiscal discipline on the entire political establishment for the future is going to be a critical tool in not just maintaining fiscal discipline, but also in containing corruption. So in the spirit of putting forward ideas to help restore some stability to Lebanon, what follows is my discussion with Steve Henke. Thank you for taking the time to to talk to us, Steve. And um, we last discussed Lebanon two months ago. At that time, we were discussing your reaction to the government's economic program, which you argued would fail because it does not include a mechanism to restore confidence by fixing the currency through a currency board. What's happened since then, of course, is uh, worse than we we really imagined. Uh, The government's economic plan, which which envisaged presenting and passing a medium-term fiscal strategy by June 30th, has has not materialized. We're now in August. Um, Negotiations with the IMF stalled. Some members of Lebanon's negotiating team uh, resigned. Uh, The foreign minister resigned. The economy is in free free fall, and you're estimating that Lebanon is the first MENA country to experience hyperinflation. Now, there is some support for a currency board, as you proposed. We saw one very prominent independent member of parliament, Paula Yakubian, support the idea. We also saw some criticism. So I thought maybe we will step back and, and, and you know, hear your views after you've been interacting with a lot of people in Lebanon and talking to various people, um, and, and and to hear your impressions regarding regarding how your ideas were received and and your thoughts regarding some of the pushback that that you've heard. So let me start with with the question of inflation. You're you're estimating inflation to be running over 400 percent. Of course, the official CPI number is very different. Uh, some goods are effectively subsidized, others are priced at at uh, you know based on an uh, the official exchange rate, which is really not an exchange rate to which most people can can access. 
can you help us interpret your estimate of inflation? You know, for, you know what is the economic ra rationale behind your calculation? And, and what does it mean for the average person? And more importantly, what does it mean for policy? How would uh, economic policy need to be uh, reacting uh, to these inflationary pressures? Okay, Osama, it's good to be with you again. Uh, and the inflation picture, let me just summarize it by saying as of today, uh, the inflation rate is actually 413.65% per year. Uh, so you're right, it is remaining over 400%. Uh, Lebanon has gone into hyperinflation. Now, I, I keep the, the, uh, the, the Rutledge uh, world inflation table up to date. I, I first actually presented that uh, in the Rutledge handbook of major economic events in history. I wrote that initial piece with one of my assistants at the time, uh, and, and, and this we is, had 56 hyperinflations, and, and each one of those 56 we went through, it took us two years to do the table, with Nick Cruz working full-time for two years on it, because I refused to include anything in the table unless I could get the original data, and I, and, and I could replicate it, and, and get the number. So it, it took a, a tremendous amount of work. It was much more difficult than I ever dreamed of. But there, there in fact, have been at that point, there were 56. Now, with Lebanon coming into the picture, we're, we're up to 62. Le Lebanon is officially in the table. So and, you, and can you can debate all you want whether they're hyperinflating or not. They are hyperinflating and they're officially in the table because I'm the official And, 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 and the exact definition of hyperinflation. Okay. The, the exact the definition. Part of this database. Yeah. The, the exact def definition is the, the original one that has started being used in the profession was uh, proposed by uh, Professor Philip Kagan, uh, the late Professor Philip Kagan from Columbia University, and it was 50% per month. Now, he was just measuring monthly inflation with data once a month at the end of the month. Since then, and this gets into my method and, 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 your, and your questions, uh, I am able to use high-frequency data, and what that means is I, I, I literally can use hourly data if I want to calculate a, an hourly rate of inflation, a monthly rate of inflation, a daily rate of inflation, an annual rate of inflation. And so with the use of high frequency data, I can measure the monthly inflation rate every day. So I've, I've altered the definition of hyperinflation slightly. It's more improved now and more precise. 50% per month has to be exceeded and that has to exist for 30 consecutive days okay. so we have a full month of every single day one after one after one uh, uh, coming in at 50 percent or more per month and that did occur in in lebanon so so they're in now now what's the what's the 
the theory or idea behind what I'm doing. Why, why can I use this high-frequency data? Well, the first time it was ever used was in 2007-2008 hyperinflation in Zimbabwe. I, I was the only one to measure it. Uh, it was the second highest hyperinflation in world history. Hungary was a, still remains the top one. But uh, in November of 2008, we had the second highest hyperinflation rate in world history in Zimbabwe. The prices were doubling every, every 24 hours in Zimbabwe. So here's the theory. The theory, we go back, actually, we can go back to writings in the 16th century, and, and, and they, in fact, were writing about something that eventually be, became what's called purchasing power parity theory. And purchasing power parity theory really came into its own with Gustav Cassell, the famous, very famous Swedish economist, he wrote an article in the Economic Journal in 1916 in which he called this purchasing power parity theory, he, he dubbed this theory of exchange rates purchasing power parity theory. And what it is, it, I, I'm simplifying uh, tremendously because there, there are very, variations no, I mean, yeah. and, and, and a lot of detail and so forth, but just for your general audience, Purchasing power parity theory is a theory for determining exchange rates. In other words, you're trying to figure out what, where the exchange rates are going to go or, or where, and or where they should be. And to do that, you look with purchasing power parity theory, you look at changes in the relative prices in, in two countries, and then you look at the exchange rate between our two currencies and by looking at changes in relative prices and in, in inflation rates between the two countries, you can predict in, in the intermediate term where the exchange rate should go. Now, uh, that that is a very orthodox theory. There are thousands and thousands of papers on, on, on this, uh, seeing if it's right or not. It's used by the economist. You know, the hamburger index is based on purchasing power parity because they look at the relative price of, of a hamburger, a Big Mac, in, in Lebanon and London, and, and, then, and then from that make some determination about where the exchange rate should be if purchasing power parity actually would, would hold. And it usually does in the in kind of the intermediate run. In the very short run, there are deviations, so it doesn't hold. So what I did uh, in Zimbabwe, it, it's amazing. This this theory you see has been around and in, in stone by all the heavyweight economists. Everyone uses purchasing power parity. Uh, I'm certain when you did your PhD at Johns Hopkins and under the, the tutelage of Ba the famous Professor Bela Balasa, you learned all about purchasing power parity theory. Yeah, so, I remember those days. <laughs> so, so at any rate, what I did, uh, sometimes simple little things actually are very significant. And, and what I did, I said, no, I, I said, I want to turn this all the equations around and, and use purchasing power parity, but I, I don't want to start with 
changes in relative prices to predict what would happen to the exchange rate or what the exchange rate should be ideally to make purchasing power parity hold. I want to reverse the thing. I want to start with changes in the free market exchange rates, be they in a real free market or on a black market. Look at those changes in the exchange rate and then from that derive an implied inflation rate. And so I, I did it. You go through all the arithmetic and you can figure reverse all the equations and everything. And sure enough, you, you get you get the right answer in theory. But the question is, does this work in, in practice? So then I went back in all these hyperinflating countries. And you find that it works perfectly at, with high inflations, with inflations that are over about 25 percent per year. It, it works like a charm. I can I can predict exactly with precision what the inflation rate is using purchasing power parity and the only inputs that i need are the exchange rate and the uh and the inflation level in 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 the let's say it's the pound dollar i would need to know what the inflation rate was in the u.s to make the thing work and and so there's a very solid theory behind it. And, and after going all over all these hyperinflations, it, it, it just works perfectly. If you look at the German hyperinflation, for example, in 1923, famous hyperinflation, the Germans, of course, kept very accurate records. They, they weren't keeping price records like they do in Lebanon or anyplace else. I mean, they, they were down to the <laughs> two or three decimal points. So I look at those old price records that they were keeping and and then i i look at the exchange rate uh and either the the mark to sterling or the mark to gold and and use purchasing power parity theory to figure out what the implied inflation was the implied inflation is just exactly what they were recording it, it's 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 over it's like 99.9 percent accurate the correlation is just perfect so we, we have a huge difference between the official ex inflation rate in Lebanon and, 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 and my accurate measure. My, my number, I can, I can assure you, is the inflation rate. Now, you said, well, some things are subsidized, this, that, and the other thing. Also, you've got the, the COVID virus. They're probably not collecting the data in a timely way. So the official, so the official stuff's out of date. And a big thing, the basket of commodities they use is tiny compared to the actual number of goods that are purchased in Lebanon each day or week or month. So their basket is small and it doesn't include everything. My, my number includes the prices of goods, the prices of services. The prices on the stock market, it, all asset prices, all service prices, all goods price, everything. It's a basket of everything. This is so, this is a very important so, point. This is a yeah. very important point because a lot of people, when when talking about inflation, think about specifically a CPI number. But the CPI 
is just a, a measure of a basket of goods. But when we're talking about inflation, indeed, the, you know, uh, services and infl price inflation is one thing. Producers for, face a different basket. The, the basket of goods purchased by different people at uh, different income brackets also varies, right? So you can argue, yeah. right? So, so there, is a, there, is a, there, there are many ways to, to define inflation. And what you're talking about is, a, is an economy-wide measure, uh, what is reflected by, by, the, by the, um, uh, the black market exchange rate of the currency that's right so, so in we, we, we start we, we start with a black market exchange rate you have to add a few things in the inflation in the united states and so forth but you, you can you can see and i i publish many articles in peer-reviewed journals on this it, it's it, it's it's uh shall we say in in the literature as they say and so you can go back and look at the the equations are pretty simple so you can actually figure out how to do it pretty easily and and most even even young students who are taking advanced economic courses could easily calculate the thing so 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 the basket isn't isn't important there there is a way to do it it's it's very accurate it uses high frequency data and this very well established very old theory of purchasing power parity but the basket is different my my basket or the one using purchasing power parity has to be a basket that includes everything goods services assets every everything that moves in lebanon is included not just a specialized narrow and tiny basket so that's that's one thing the other thing you mentioned you said well some things you know you have price controls and things are subsidized and so forth and so on that gets to a second point beyond the basket, and that's that's something called repressed inflation. If you have price exactly. controls on something, let's say let's say bread, for example, and and I looked at this by the way in Syria when, when Syria the the civil war started, I looked at this very carefully in Syria because I I can of course determine the inflation rate in Syria today by the way in Syria the inflation rate is 271.17% in 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 Lebanon it's 413.65% so inflation's a lot higher in Lebanon than Syria but i looked at this repressed inflation and so they they had price controls on on uh, bread uh, and 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 of course if you have price controls on something, people want more of it than it, than is available. So they had also restrictions on the amount of bread that you could purchase when you went in the line to, to the bakery and, and, and bought your cheap bread with price controls. So what people would do is, and this is what always happens with price controls or subsidized things, they they would buy as much bread as they they were allowed to buy, and and then they'd go outside the bakery and and literally resell the bread they didn't want at a free market black market price right outside the door of the bakery. So what do I pick up with the implied inflation? The number I get isn't the price controlled price of the bread; it's the okay. price. 
that the guy is paying outside the bakery door in the black market. You're, you're picking up your your measure of inflation is one that 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 would clear the market. There right. would be it's, no shortages. Right. It's called it, it's called open inflation. It's a measure of open inflation. And the basket includes everything that that's that's technically what it is open. So I'm I'm measuring the reality of what the open inflation is actually in Lebanon right now. So what does to transition maybe maybe uh, away from inflation, you know, to to the to the question of currency board, which was your proposal, which would. You know, you had proposed it precisely as a way to prevent uh, a, an inflationary spiral, as you know, one one of, one of the reasons to have a currency board. Let's let's talk a bit about how it was received and and what your thoughts are regarding some of the the criticisms. I think that that you've heard, I've heard, and and others. One one criticism I, I heard often is that a currency board does not fix the crisis. It, it, it's possible to have a currency board, but what's more important is to have a fiscal and structural reform program. Now, it's hard to disagree with the view that, that Lebanon's economy is in shambles, will be in shambles, as long as there's no reform, right? But but what is the sequencing issue here? Is macro stabilization a necessary precondition for for um, putting a currency board in place? How would you you know does it need to be part of a package, uh, precede a package? What would, what are your thoughts about that? The, the crisis, the the epicenter of the crisis in Lebanon, it is a currency crisis. There there are other secondary and tertiary crises going on at the same time. But the, the ultimate source, the atomic bomb in the thing, is, is the currency. You, you, Lebanon has a currency crisis. So you have to go to the center of the inferno and, and put out the fire first. So that's that's you you must do this first, and and that a lot of the discussion that's come up around currency boards, for example, and and Levin on that proposal, have have essentially been besides the point because people will say, oh no no no, we we we, we what about the banking? You got to do the banking thing, or oh oh what what about the electricity? I mean, we don't have electricity. Oh, what about the the fires up in the mountains. I mean, we we're, we we don't have enough money to fund the the, the fire uh, people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So these are these are all big, huge problems. But there is one mega problem, and that is the currency. It it must be fixed before you can eliminate hyperinflation, before you can stabilize the country, before any government or public authority could gain any credibility, they must get rid of hyperinflation and, and the currency crisis that exists. So the sequencing, in my mind, and, and I'm speaking from a, a great deal of experience, by the way, uh, most of the people talking about this in Beirut are, are drinking too much Turkish coffee and talking too much, quite frankly. They, they have never studied these. They have never been involved. They, they have no experience whatsoever. And, and you know that right away when they start talking about, oh, the currency board, it, 
it's not going to solve the banking crisis. Yeah, I, I know it's not going to solve the banking crisis. It, it will mitigate the banking crisis problem, but it the banking crisis is a, is a separable issue that, that will be assisted by having a stable currency. If you don't have a stable currency, if you have a floating exchange rate, for example, the floating pound will not float on a sea of tranquility in, in Beirut. It, it will sink like a stone. This is exactly what happened in Jakarta in July of 1997 when the IMF advised Suharto to start floating the rupiah. It sunk like a stone. They, and inflation reared up. And, and what happened? You had food riots. And what happened eventually? Well, eventually, that was the end of Suharto. So, so that's that's the sequencing thing. And let me give you one pra practical example. One one that I was personally involved in, 1989. The first time I met President Carlos Menem, uh, who, who incidentally, as everyone knows, is family origin is Syrian. So in in Latin America, he's a, he's a Turco, what's called a Turco. And uh, I met Menem, and, and Menem, the reason that I met Menem, I'd been very involved in Chile and the economic reforms that the Chicago boys had, had been engaged in, in in Chile. And Menem wanted to copy those liberal reforms, you know, knock out corruption, get the red tape out of the economy, deregulate the economy, and 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 make it make it more free market and and less government intervention and all these things. So he wanted to do that, and he, he wanted a big privatization program, by the way, and and. Uh, Argentina, and when he was elected in 1989, one of the first things he did, he, he established a new ministry, a ministry of privatization. But when I met him, uh, he, he wanted to know about the reforms in Chile and how those were done and uh, what, what ideas that I had. And, and, and he, he complained bitterly that after I made my presentation, he said, I, I'm trying to do everything you're, you're suggesting, Professor Hank. He is, but, but he says, nothing's working. He says, I can't, I can't do anything. He says, I can't privatize a, a, a piece of bread even. And I said, I know. And I, and I know why. And, and he set up the attention. He says, why? And I said, you have triple digit inflation roaring away in Argentina as we sit here today. And you were elected, but no one thinks you have any credibility. No one thinks you can do anything. No, no one trusts you to do anything. And the reason why is because you haven't done anything to kill inflation. So they, they say, what would Menem know? He, he can't kill our main problem. Our main problem is inflation. And, and we're going to let this guy start privatizing stuff. So he said, what would you do? And I, I said, I think I know what I would do. I, I probably would 
think about a currency board arrangement like they did in Hong Kong in 1983, but I said, I'll, I'll have to think about it a little bit. And he said, well, could you write that up, or write, write a, a short book on it? And, and I said, yeah. So I, Dr. Kurt Schuler and I did write that book in a very short period of time. We proposed an orthodox currency board. They did put in what they called convertibility. It was not a currency board, by the way. Most people most people are confused by this. It it, it had a fixed exchange rate with the U.S. dollar. It it had a lot of foreign reserves backing up the peso. It traded at a one to one exchange rate. Free convertibility. Free convertibility. No no capital controls or exchange controls. And it killed inflation. It gave Menem an immediate. Uh, credibility, and then he went on with a lot of reforms. It eventually blew up. And by the way, I, I wrote an article in the in the fall, either September, or October, Wall Street Journal, in which I said if if they didn't make this convertibility system a currency board, an orthodox currency board, that the thing would eventually blow up. Well, it took ten years. It, it did blow up. I was right. But in the meantime, they had they had a big run of, of a big boom and and uh, Argentina, no inflation, and so forth and so on. So so that's an example of the sequencing. You see, Menem did not have the sequencing right. He he wanted to fix everything else that was going wrong, but but he, he failed to kill inflation, and he failed to have credibility, and that meant that the public opinion just wouldn't support him to do anything. I, I, I often, what, what I often hear, um, from listening to a lot of people in Lebanon is 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 a situation where whereby I think that the, the perfect is becoming the enemy of the good, i.e. everyone is so there is, you know, there is, of course, as you said, the currency crisis, but there is at, at in the behind that and, and the original sin is a government debt problem. Right. Everyone is trying to create a, you know, a program that that addresses all the problems at the same time. But how do you get credibility in from, you know, to even begin? And this is where where your proposal becomes very attractive, because you need something that people, you know, can start signing contracts denominated in a currency that people can trust will be valued a month hence. Right. Yes. Uh, right. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, it is you, you start with the currency as uh, as an anchor for for stabilizing not just inflationary expectations but just everything else and then you start building on now of course in you know in the meantime there there are many issues here that that are going to come into play which is the next steps after a currency board and 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 also the the technicalities of it now you know another criticism I hear is that the level, given the level of reserves in 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 the country, the cent, the the FX reserves of the central bank, and 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 you know there there are many ways in which the central bank has been accounting for for re, reserves, and and this is something that that is being discussed. But but given what what could be available as as FX reserves, will imply that an exchange rate that is so de heavily depreciated that politically it is unpalatable. Now, we might get there anyway through hyperinflation, but but what is, you know, w what are your thoughts in terms of in terms of what how to set up a currency board in the absence of, of a, a sufficient somehow level of reserves? Uh, 
Okay, so a couple of things, Osama. The, 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 the main thing, and this is my, I think this is probably a, one thing that confuses people in Lebanon, and that is Lebanon had a pegged exchange rate. It lasted for a long time. They they kept putting band-aids on it and et cetera, and at the end uh, ended up in a, a effectively kind of the, with this financial engineering kind of a Ponzi scheme to keep the thing pegged. Pegs always blow up, always, because the central bank authority has an exchange rate policy and a monetary policy with a peg, and they they. Those two policies, the exchange rate policy and the monetary policy, eventually always get into conflict, particularly if you're running a huge fiscal deficit. <laughs> you, you had, that, that implies a, a monetary policy that's relatively loose or, or looser than it should be when, on the other hand, you're trying to keep the peg. A currency board is not, is not a peg. You have a fixed exchange rate. You have a an exchange rate policy. You have no monetary policy. There is no monetary policy. You are just exchanging anchor currency for the domestic currency at a fixed exchange rate with free convertibility. That that's all. It's just an exchange house. So you you have no monetary policy with a currency board. The other point I'd like to make before answering directly your question. And this is this is one thing that I I really wish I was in Lebanon because I, I, I would have everyone on my side, everyone on my side, because everyone in Lebanon, I don't care what political color or stripe you are, are sick and tired of the corrupt politicians. And the currency board does what? It puts the politicians in a straitjacket. There, I, I don't know. I can't imagine anyone except the politicians or or people who have their greedy hands out feeding at the political trough who would be against putting Lebanese politicians in straitjackets. It, it's, it's just inconceivable. So, so this, this, this should be the currency boards should be so massively popular right across the spectrum of everyone. Everyone should agree because everyone should agree to a straitjacket. Now, let's assume everyone agrees with me that that's a good idea. Then the technical question comes up that you just ask, and that is, well, where are the reserves? The, the crooks stole all the money. We don't have any money. And that is where you get into the technicalities of setting the thing up. This is not a problem, by the way. Let, let me give you the extreme case. Let, let's say there are zero reserves at the at the central bank, or or, or negative reserves, and and let's say you want to set up a separate currency board, or or you want to set up a currency board as a as a subdivision of the central bank. You leave the central bank and the central that where it is, no, don't change the name, but you set up a, a, a new department called the issue department. This is what they did in Bulgaria. So the Bulgarian National Bank is still a central bank, but there, there's, a, there's a chunk of it called the issue department. 
And that issues the currency. That is a currency board. That is governed by a currency board law. So the question is, well, how do you get the money to do that? Well, in Bulgaria, it was easy. They were hyperinflating. The real value of the monetary base was almost nothing. So you didn't really need many reserves. Now, remember, the currency board, you're talking about 100% reserves only for the monetary base, only for the monetary base. So the monetary base in a country is much smaller than the total broad money measured with any kind of broad measure of money, M3, M4, whatever the number happens to be. So so that's that's one thing. Uh, I, I have not done due diligence on this. So this is this is a lot of hand waving by Lebanese people saying we don't have any money. There are no reserves. We could never set one up. It's, and they say it's not feasible because we don't have reserves. I don't I don't know because I, I haven't actually been in Beirut and examined everything. And, and I don't I don't exactly know what the reserve level is. But let's let's assume that it's zero. What you do in that case, you have the government borrow or come up with some money if they have any any reserves, but they can borrow the money and they could borrow it from the IMF. And, and they put that money in as equity in the initial currency board that you're setting up. And, and once you do that, you have 100% reserves, and the, and of course the government owns the equity. They they own 100% of of the currency board, so there's there's no no problem there. It's very easy to do. They borrowed the money from the IMF. They put the equity in. That equity, um, by the way, will will make a, a lot of money because the confidence will come immediately. Immediately, this, this has been the case. Every single currency board, they've been set up in, in the middle of civil wars. Keynes set one up in, in North Russia in, in the Russian Civil War. The demand for the, the golden ruble at the currency board skyrocketed. The, the gold reserve skyrocketed. And, and of course, the currency board makes a, makes a profit. And, and that's, why, that's why I like it relative to full dollarization. See, one, one option that would technically be really the same for Lebanon, you just get rid of the pound, forget the pound, and, and you just dollarize the country. Now, the problem with that, is it, or, or the only disadvantage, there, there are no problems with it, <laughs> by the way. It's a very good solution. This I was involved in dollarizing Montenegro in, in uh, 1999 and in 2000, I was advisor to the finance minister in Ecuador, and Ecuador dollarized, got rid of their local currency. So the problem that you solve it with a currency board, you make a profit because you're issuing a liability, the, the Lebanese pound that carries no interest. Your liabilities carry no interest. They're very cheap to produce the, the, the bills and coins. And you uh, uh, have assets 100% backing up the liabilities, the money that you're issuing, the base money, the high-powered money that you're issuing at, at the currency board. And that spread between return on assets and zero interest on liabilities is a, is a profit. 
Now, the question still becomes another technical question. Well, uh, what's, what's the exchange rate going to be? Because wherever you set the exchange rate will determine how many reserves you actually need. And to do that, the best approach is the one I've always recommended, which we actually did in Bulgaria in 1997. You, you freeze the current monetary base at, at its current level. You let the exchange rate float freely without any constraints for 30 days. You observe what's happened in that 30-day period. You do some bench calculations, too, and you decide what the exchange rate is going to be. You come in hopefully very close to the fixed exchange rate that, that's an equilibrium exchange rate that would clear the market. And, uh, and, and, and off you go. So, so, so let me, so on this issue, I mean, this is, this is important one because you, you know, you, you, you need a, to start off with some sort of market determined initial exchange rate, which means you float for a period of time. But but to get the proper exchange rate, then you need some form of capital mobility. Now, Lebanon doesn't have capital controls de jure that has de facto capital controls in the sense that because of the liquidity position of some banks um, and their exposure to government bonds, banks are simply not not transferring money. It's not there is no capital control law per se, but 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 there isn't free capital mobility either. Um, do, do you need capital mobility, and and how would you deal with the? I mean, is 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 capital mobility a, a precondition for for setting such an exchange rate, and 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 maybe or is is the banking sector reform a precondition to somehow, you know. No, you're, ne you're, out. Never, you're, you're, you're never going to be able to reform the banks and, unless, the, it, it, unless the economy is stable and so forth. It, it, it's, just, it's never going to happen, period. And, and, the, and the bank deposits, the, you're right, the bank deposits are, in effect, frozen. That's a separable issue. It doesn't have anything to do with the capital mobility. It's the the bank deposits are frozen. So they're, they're so, frozen because 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 the the and, again we go back to the government you know government they will, they, they will re, under any regime under any any regime. Let me emphasize the word any. Bank deposits will remain frozen and for the foreseeable future in Lebanon. End of story. They, 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 and, and the question is, for those who have their bank deposits frozen, how will they do eventually? Eventually, they, they, will, they, will, they will get some money out. Now, one, one way that the adjustment takes place in a lot of countries is that you have a hyperinflation. Well, that, that takes care of it. You, you end up with nothing, basically. They unfreeze the bank accounts, of course, at the end of the thing. They reform the bank, but you have nothing. With a currency board, with a currency board, the prospect of getting a decent recovery of your deposits is, is going to be much, much higher than with any other kind of exchange rate regime. And, and, and one reason for that is 
this capital mobility. You you start with the the 30-day float, and and you, you, of course you, you, you the float is done in the context of having these these in effect frozen bank deposits. <laughs> I mean, I, I you must, can I, you I, can. I'm, yeah, I'm so, say so, to you. So you, yeah. So, so you, you 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 do that, Isama, but but the the point is that people are going to say, well, how how can Professor Hankey be saying that that I'll I'll be having a better chance of getting my money back from the bank if you have a currency board rather than one of these other arrangements, and and the reason for that is that you will get big capital inflows. You're talking about capital after the currency board goes in, actually. By the way, you, you, the capital will start coming in the day one, the day one, not not in day 30 when you actually install the currency board. The capital flows will start coming in on day one, just as they did in Bulgaria or any of these other places. When, when you announce it, the capital starts coming in. And why? Because there's a, a huge arbitrage profits to be made. So, so you'll have a lot of capital coming in right away, even under this floating arrangement. And, and of course, you would have free capital mobility under that arrangement. And that's why, by the way, once you start floating, I anticipate, I'm not predicting, but I, I would anticipate that the, the Lebanese pound would strengthen the equilibrium exchange rate in, expect, in, in an expectation of a currency board will be stronger than it is right now. That that is, you know, I, I yeah, I mean, I think if it it's if, if if this were done, say tomorrow, of course, uh, uh, there is the market is also quite thin right now, so so a you know some modest modest transfers are causing big movements, and once you once you have more, you know, the scope for more uh, mobility, then then you you will have a more more realistic um, exchange rate. The unfortunate right. thing, what's thing happened? Is, yeah, yeah. One, one, one thing on. By the way, it, it isn't that when you do this, you you don't let the thing float for 30 days, and then you take the exchange rate on day 30, and you say, oh, that's the rate for the currency board to be fixed. No, 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 no. You look at the pattern, what's been going on, the volumes. Sure. Uh, uh, obviously, a, a low volume day carries a lot less weight than a high volume day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and separately, you do some technical bench calculations on on actually theoretically what the equilibrium fixed exchange rate should be, and you say is the is the market lining up with these uh, with these calculations? Is it is it in the zone of the calculations? And and if it isn't, you you know then then you start scratching your head about that too. So so it's not it's not. Um, it's, it's not, just not it's a slam. What a we would call on basketball a slam dunk, you know. It, it, it's it's a little more sophisticated than I'm really letting on, but but it's it's all feasible. It's all doable. We we did it in Bulgaria. We, we did it in Lithuania. We did it in Bosnia, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, go ahead. Unfortunate. What is unfortunate right now is is unfortunately government inaction over the past months have meant that what we have is is a, a a a set of policies that are it's almost designed to create maximum economic damage and and 
and, and the 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 hyperinflationary episode that we're experiencing is ultimately one that, as you said, you know, it 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 will it could solve the a lot of the 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 problem of the deposits, but by that turning them to naught, and that ultimately hits it, you know, pushes the burden of the of adjustment on 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 the poorest and the middle class, right? So it's a social issue that that you need a a, a as rapid as stabilization as possible. Would you would yeah. you share that view? Yeah, yeah, I, I I completely agree. Of course, in these hyperinflations, the the ones who get clobbered uh, the the hardest are the poorest people because to the extent they have anything, it's cash, and and then. Beyond that, of course, you, you have people with deposits that are doing banking and banking deposits. Well, in Lebanon, they, they, they're, they've been trapped already. They're, they're trapped. They're, and, and, and then you have rich Lebanese, of course. They're, they're, they're perfectly safe. They're all, they've, got, they've got all their money offshore and, and, and protected. And, and they, they own real assets in Lebanon. The rich people own real assets. So real assets uh, that appreciate. That, that's what I'm calculating. Exactly. How fast are the commodities going up in price? How fast are the services? And I said assets. There are no consumer price indices calculated any place in the world that, that calculate the value of assets like houses cars things like that well cars they they calculate the at a transaction level but they they don't really do it like a balance sheet what what the value of a house is so so uh so the 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 hyperinflation is a a massively regressive kind of thing It, it just absolutely wipes the poor people out completely and and the and the 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 inaction of the government. Let, let me just say, we, since our last interview, the inaction of the government is they've even been less active than before. We were talking the first interview, Osama. Indeed. And 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 as you say, they're 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 resi- you know dropping like flies. These guys are resigning. Everyone's resigning. So the credibility of the government actually much lower now than it than it was when we talked a, a month or so ago. Furthermore, I, I have watched these crises so carefully for so long that believe me, what's going to happen if this keeps up? The pound will go to ten thousand, and then it'll go to fifteen thousand, and then it'll go to twenty thousand. So this this is. I, I, I know almost precisely what's going to happen. It will be shocking how, how the collapse of the currency evolves if the government continues to fiddle while Beirut burns. That's uh, yeah. I mean that that unfortunately is 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 the reality. So so but when I'm listening to you. I think you've you've almost anticipated my my final question, which was. Which was really to to say that that you know wondering that you know you've dealt with a broad number of of, of uh, countries with various degrees of political dysfunction, but the Lebanese I think a lot of Lebanese think uh, that we are in a class of of our own when it comes to government incompetence and and political paralysis. Are, are they right? No. Uh, 
this is this is a very characteristic thing, by the way. All these countries, you know, that I I, I don't know how many I've been involved with as officially and and some even unofficially, but you go to them and 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 they always say the same thing. Well, professor, you know, always very respectful and so forth, and they professor, you know, you're you're telling us how things happened in 50 different countries, you know, that you've had experience in and so forth and all the history studying it and so forth and so on. But, um, uh, you know, the situation here is different. You, you just don't understand the local scene, professor. I mean, let me, let me tell you, let's go over and have a coffee. This is going to take a half an hour or so, you know, let me, let me, educate you on what's really going on here and then they give the local story whatever it happens to be which which is always interesting and you know worth listening to but but it's kind of irrelevant all these all these hyperinflations you you think you have functional governments hyperinflating you i mean you think the government was was right-headed in, in Germany in 1923 when they hyperinflated. I mean, they they had a lot of people, but it, 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 it was basically dysfunctional. And and most of these new hyperinflations, like Zimbabwe has had two hyperinflations since 2007. It's completely, it's just exactly like Lebanon. Exactly. I mean, it, 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 it's, there's just no difference. Venezuela. Venezuela has had now two episodes of hyperinflation in, in recent years. Uh, and, and the same kind of dysfunction, disorganization, nutty, nutty ideas floating around. It's, it's a combination, Usama, I would say, of it's, it's mainly seat of the pants policy. No, no, no one knows what's going on. They're very confused. Uh, uh, and, and and the political factions do make Lebanon somewhat unique. I mean, let's let's face it: the political system in Lebanon it is unique. Uh, I'm I'm at, at thirty thousand feet. I'm certainly aware of it. And of course, as you know, Mrs. Hankey's French, so the the French were, were part of setting the thing up. So. So I, I I know how it's supposed to work when it works, but but even that is a very complicated chessboard to be playing with. It, it is indeed a complicated chessboard, which is which is again I think why I you know an anchor like a currency board uh, is is why I I personally am attracted to your um, to your thoughts and and suggestions uh, about this. Well, um, again, let, let me close on a note. Let let's put them put all those politicians in a straitjacket and stabilize and fix Lebanon. Step one, first point in the sequence, put out the raging inferno that is a currency crisis. Then you've got to deal with something very related to that that affects everyone and that is banking that, exactly and and that will be that will be easier to solve uh 
with the currency board. In other words, right now, you've got a currency board raging that, that, that's basically going to kill everything, by the way. If it keeps going, it, it will kill everything. At, at 15 or 20,000 of the dollar, I mean, people are going to be in, in such a panic and, and, the, and the banking system in such shambles in, in, uh, in Lebanon that you won't believe it. But let, let's fix that. And then we got to go to the banks. Now, the banks are in the intensive care unit. And with a currency board, basically, we're going to be allowing them to go to their private rooms so they can be attended to by the doctors. We'll take them out of the intensive care, put them in a private room, and then we'll send the doctors in to figure out how we can we can fix them. And in the meantime, capital will be coming in. It'll be easier to fix them. And the prospect of people actually getting something of real value out of their bank deposit will grow. This it. it, it and 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 who and who knows? They might end up getting all their money back. They they might not get it tomorrow. They they might have to wait a year or two, but they'll get it back. Well, that, that that I think I think you know on 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 the on the government debt side, uh, you know, there's a there's a whole other dynamic that that will imply. Unfortunately, you know, regulations can be an Achilles heel of a, of any banking system, and and uh, you know. Uh, I think in the case of, of Lebanon, of course, regulation, like in many other countries, uh, is such that that it is not possible for for a bank to purchase, to create a portfolio of, of assets that are sub-investment grade abroad. What this means for an emerging market is that is that you cannot create a diversified exposure to to uh, emerging market debt, for example, to replicate the type of returns that you have at home. And so you end up with a dynamic where people's money is in banks, but the banks end up buying the government bonds because they're treated from a regulatory perspective much better than than uh, uh, buying foreign bonds. And, 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 and you have a, an easy way for government to finance itself. But on the other hand, you have concentration of risks right and um and and that is a that, that is a, a you know a, a tragedy that that the lebanese whose uh, consequences are 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 being felt by by the population well yeah that's i completely agree i mean that that's true but you, you it, it's it's not all it's easier, by the way, uh, this is the reason that I, I remain optimistic about someplace like Lebanon, if they if they would, uh, optimistic, if they would adopt a currency board, because you it, it allows you, you're in a deep hole. Think of yourself in a deep hole. If you're in a deep hole and you don't do the right thing first, you will remain in the deep hole. If you do the right thing first, namely a currency board, it's going to allow you to start digging your way out of the hole. And what I've done, looking at the history of currency boards, and they've been installed in wars and uh, currency crises, banking crises, banking deposits frozen, every possible thing under the sun. The thing that's surprising 
is how fast they've been able to dig out of the hole. So, so all all of these things that have that have are weighing on on Lebanon can be dealt with in a surprisingly fast way, actually. And and one thing that could be very fast, by the way, is if the government would come up with a proposal for a currency board and they would submit that to the IMF because the IMF, that's exactly what we did in Bulgaria in early 1997. The, the IMF, as well as the World Bank, got behind it immediately because they were smart enough to see, oh, I see, <laughs> that the, the Bulgarian politicians are actually proposing something that would put them in a straitjacket? That's great. That's just what we want. It's a thousand percent better than IMF conditionality because IMF conditionality, it looks tough, so forth and so on, but it, it has no teeth. Conditionality has no teeth. That's that's why you get recidivism. That's why you have Pakistan back in for the the 23rd time they they've had a program, an IMF program in Pakistan. There are all kinds of conditions on Pakistan, but Pakistan looks the other way, and there's nothing really the IMF can do to enforce conditionality. But with a straitjacket and a currency board, that's it. They're they're in the straitjacket whether they want to be or not. And uh, and that's the beauty of the whole thing. With regard to the IMF and getting the IMF moving, it's, it's a simple proposal. It's a straightforward proposal. It's one the IMF has adopted before. And, by the way, the managing director of the IMF happens to be a Bulgarian. So, so she knows very well. How, she knows exactly how the thing works. So I, I would think that would be my approach and recommendation. It, it would get this thing moving immediately. It would stop all this drift because without something concrete like a currency board, I, I really don't know when Lebanon will come up with a plan that they'll be able to propose that the IMF would accept, honestly. This thing is going on months now, months after month. And, and they, it, they need to get moving with something specific. Well, on on hoping on the note of hoping that they move sooner rather than later, and and you know, uh, and uh, we get some sort of positive surprise. Uh, on that note, it's um, it's always always a pleasure talking to you, and uh, want to thank you for taking the time, and and I hope that we indeed get to. Uh, meet up in in Beirut and in the not too distant future once once we can yeah, travel I, again. I certainly would look forward to the pleasure of that because I I do know the hospitality is absolutely first rate uh, and uh, the, the Lebanese are very very welcoming. So that's that is a major plus. In, in addition, the food is excellent. Well, thank you very much, Steve. And talk to you soon. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis.
basis for investment decisions. Clients of Parkview may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.